Hello and welcome to the Access of Space Defense and Security podcast. I'm Omkar Nikam, your host for this episode. In this podcast, we explore the latest developments and trends in the fields of space exploration, defense technology, and national security. Each episode features insightful interviews with experts and industry leaders who share their perspectives on a wide range of topics, including the latest advances in satellite technology, space exploration missions, military defense strategies, cybersecurity, and more. Whether you are a space enthusiast, a military professional, or someone interested in the latest innovation in technology and security, this podcast has something for you. Join us as we delve into the cutting-edge research breakthroughs that are shaping the future of space defense and security. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to episode 31 Lunar Missions Science Politics and Security Perspectives. Today we have with us uh, a guest who has previously been on the podcast and her episode was one of the highly rated ones uh, in the military satellite domain. Uh, so I believe it's not only an on demand episode but even I was uh, very much excited and in the future we'll be having more episodes from this guest. Uh, so without any delay I would like to welcome again uh, Harini Madhusudan. Hi Harini, welcome to the podcast. Hello, sir. Thank you so much for having me again. Thank you so much for encouraging me to discuss the subject uh, in detail with all the passion that both of us carry for the subject. Yes, yes, definitely. I really love your perspectives on these issues uh, because I believe uh, an expert like you uh, in the military satellite domain uh, doesn't only look at the you know political aspect, but you're also looking at the security and science aspect of these issues too. Uh, so yeah, I know that we previously had your introduction uh, on the podcast, uh, but yeah, definitely you have uh, progressed a lot after that in your career and in your you know daily publication writing as well. Uh, so can you briefly uh, introduce yourself? Uh, just you know, giving an overview of your journey and how did you end up doing what you're doing at the moment? Sure, sir. Uh, my name is Harini Madhusudan. I'm a PhD scholar. I'm looking at militarization of outer space. And uh, with the very carefully chosen case studies of India, France and Japan, because uh, the idea was to keep away from the big power politics and also focus at uh, uh, space powers that are doing great work, who have been there in space for a longer time, and also have a lot of inputs to give in uh, topics like militarization of outer space. Uh, additionally, I also look at outer space from a broader perspective, commercialization, private sector, uh, civilian missions, government uh, strategies and all of that. Um, I've, I'm in the final stages of my PhD. Very uh, shortly, I will be submitting my thesis. And uh, I'm also, I've also slowly started teaching. So I'm uh, transitioning in my career as well. Uh, that's about it, sir. Thank you very much. I believe, uh, I hope this transition that you're experiencing at the moment might turn out to be, you know, a full scale position uh, in this industry, because I believe an experts like you in this industry are very much important. Uh, firstly, I still remember our first interaction through LinkedIn. Uh, I mean, you said like you're still pursuing a, a PhD, uh, but from my perspective, you know, coming from the space industry, the subject in which you were pursuing PhD it's it's a very rare subject. I have never seen many people actually pursuing, you know, uh, this kind of issues. Uh, because firstly, for, there are like two aspects to it. It's like first thing is like, of course, it's not on the very much commercial side, but it's very much on the government side. 
and i believe the current space industry is very much you know on a full scale manner uh, moving towards the commercialization but it is very much important the kind of subject that you have taken uh, to keep up a sustainable cooperation in the commercial world in the space industry you know taking care of the militarization aspect of this outer space is very much important so yeah thank you very much again uh, for you know all the information that you provided us uh, about your career uh, and yeah proceeding ahead uh, with the podcast as we know that you know there are several missions that have been recently launched i mean people have been uh, craving for moon i would say i wouldn't say they are uh, looking only towards moon they are literally craving for moon now i believe several governments i mean not the common citizens as such so from that aspects i would like to know why nations are shooting for moon uh, and what are the key motivations from economic political and security perspective um i agree with you sir there's a sudden increase in moon uh, interest in the moon these days and uh, i mean it's happening for a few years now but i think one of the primary motivations for countries to invest in the moon has been uh, the the scientific exploration and research since the beginning but today it has a lot of uh, geopolitical color to it there's also a lot of strategic color to it uh, and the economic benefits that the moon poses the possibility of economic benefits i think is driving countries to invest on the moon uh, missions moon is rich in resources it has water ice helium 3 rare earth elements and also there is an expectation that it has precious metals and these resources are expected to be utilized for various purposes not just bring them back to earth but also like use it for further exploration of the moon surface itself energy production manufacturing and all of those countries investing in the moon missions also want to assess the availability and accessibility of these resources uh, to try and bring them back to earth exploit them on on earth <clears throat> but also in in uh, utilizing them in the long term presence that they want to establish on the moon itself and one of the biggest uh, hum- uh, plan or the human uh, ambitions on the moon is to have uh, moon habitat or work on establishing human presence on the moon for longer durations and possibly treat the moon as a transit point for further exploration uh, geopolitically the m- major motivation is to be seen as the first mover a national prestige uh, or show technological greatness uh, of uh, being able to achieve various um, previously unachievable stuff on the moon being able to successfully land astronauts having robotic missions uh, on the moon like what india did recently have reaching out the farthest corners of the moon uh, this as a symbol of national prestige but it's also a symbol for exploration and understanding the moon surface further uh, it would also it a showcase a scientific achievement on the part of the country so it that also leads for further geopolitical uh, gains strategically it, it there is a lot of unexplored uh, territory on terms of national security but the ability to operate on the moon also provides countries an advantageous position for monitoring the earth's activities so if i want to uh, use my surveillance capabilities i understand that orbits are uh helping us for surveillance capabilities now but in the future if i want to use expand my surveillance capabilities then i could probably consider uh, the moon surface as a safer option than a crowded orbit so that is also being explored on the moon so essentially we can see how you know before when 
uh, countries began working together on the orbits. There was a sense of competition and cooperation. It's the same that we can see now on the moon. There is a sense of cooperation, but there's also an underlying competition that countries are seeing these days. Interesting. I believe you brought up uh, each and every perspective from resource extraction to the competitiveness of the nations. Yes. Uh, and I believe uh, uh, there, was, there have been like several instances where I've been asked this question about what is the difference between uh, the space race and the current era of moon exploration. Uh, so I believe, as you said, there, there is an economic motive on the top. Of course, the yes. high priority is that. Uh, I mean, the countries are not in race to compete with each other. Like how many satellites if Australia has launched, then yes. China is in the race to launch so many satellites. It's not like that. It's about if we are launching a satellite, what are the benefits our population is, is going to you know uh, take advantage of from, yes. that, from those satellites. Yes. Um, but yeah, this these are the like primary top motives. Uh, but yeah, under that, uh, how space can be a power dynamic tool? Mm. Uh, as you said, it's un there is an underlying competition. So I think the more capabilities you develop uh, in every vertical from manufacturing to services to the upstream market where you actually operate the satellites, that will define your power dynamics. I mean, the kind of military uh, satellite dominance that we are seeing recently, yes. we'll be seeing in a similar way on moon as well. Uh, but unfortunately, of course, there uh, we as a humans going together, uh, mm -hmm. there have been like two different groups now, ILRS and Artemis program. Yes. So I really hope, I mean, the cooperation survives well, even though we have two different groups of nations uh, going to the moon. Uh, so, for, you know, just take a step back on your point of resource extraction. Uh, so from that angle, what are your thoughts on utilization and sharing lunar resources equally? and whether it is even possible to cooperate in a sustainable manner given the current geopolitical climate as i mentioned there are two different groups of nations now uh, you know aiming for moon so what are your thoughts on this i think the idea of sharing lunar resources has been uh, pretty well established in the uh, principles given to us by the Outer Space Treaty. It says international cooperation and fair distribution of benefits is one of the primary uh, uh, motivations behind human exploration of outer space. And all countries should have equal access to lunar resources. And they also encourage cooperation and collaboration in the extraction and utilization of uh, resources that are on the lunar space. So principally or in an ideal situation, all countries should be cooperating and distributing the benefits of uh, extraction. But the idea that in today's terms or what Artemis Accords necessarily tries to uh, encourage is uh, have a small group of countries aim at uh, exploring the lunar surface, extracting uh, resources for their purposes. And if I'm going to use Artemis Accords as a group of countries establishing, say, a Artemis habitat in the future, then all of those resources that they utilize will be for the consumption of their technology or for their uh, purposes that they're aiming at. So in a realistic uh, more situation, there is uh, even though there is no competition in terms of uh, utilization of resources, there is still some sort of a divide that is uh, brewing in the uh, aims that countries have towards the moon. Uh, it has gained attention also in the terms of uh, commercialization and space, uh, space exploration circles because 
uh, till till now we have countries aiming at the moon but tomorrow if we have a commercial uh, uh, cap uh, commercial person if somebody wants to have a private mission on the moon and start utilizing the moon's resources or bring them back for uh, utilization here then how do we deal with such issues uh, the legal framework largely has uh, very little uh, that it addresses in terms of these issues and this legal ambiguity has created further uncertainty regarding property rights on the moon and it also complicates uh, further efforts that are needed to establish an equal sharing mechanism uh, but so far we still have a few technical challenges that countries are still facing uh, with extraction and bringing them back to uh, earth itself extraction requires advanced technologies and not everybody has achieved it so far uh, despite these challenges there are uh, multiple ways in which they are trying to enable a cooperation on lin lunar resource utilization uh, most of it has been in the form of uh, dialogue and uh, having to try and establish common principles so that is what artemis accords is trying to do it's trying to establish a few common principles that uh, countries can look towards uh, beyond that i feel like uh, ilrs and uh, artemis accords might just become the two blocks that uh, we might see competing for resources in the future but as it is so far we there is ample resources on the moon and uh, i think the technological challenges will still remain as a barrier uh, but col collaboration might still be uh, might still continue cooperation i'm not sure collaboration we might see a lot of bilateral uh, initiatives or multilateral initiatives towards bringing resources back to earth or towards utilizing resources on the moon surface itself interesting i, I agree with that fact that we don't know what might happen to cooperation mm. because given the current state of the industry uh, the way we are progressing i mean there has been a quite a huge rift uh, between the russian and the other uh, nations like from europe and uh, you know americas i would say uh, north yeah. america uh, yes. because uh, these countries were cooperating with russia uh, for several science missions mm -hmm. for a matter of fact uh, one of the mars mission was also cancelled because it was involving uh, russian cooperation uh, with the european space agency uh, so but yeah there are still some collaborations which are going on i mean uh, there is some level of collaboration still on iss mm -hmm. i think yesterday or today morning itself i i just uh, saw that uh, a crew of Russian astronauts has flown to uh, ISS. So that this kind of things we might observe. Uh, but yeah, as you said, full-scale cooperation, it's uh, it's uncertain, I would say, mm -hmm. at, for, for the moment. And, uh, you know, just on the same lines, uh, along with technological challenges, what other prime challenges do you observe for future lunar missions? I mean, I'm asking this question uh, from the perspective as well, like, what has possibly changed uh, from the previous decades? Uh, I mean, again, coming back to the question, why now going to the moon? Why we didn't spend uh, for the previous decades? Okay. I think uh, one uh, very clear reason why there was a lag in the way countries explored uh, moon missions was that uh, the interest on the moon fell apart, firstly. Secondly, it is very expensive and it takes a long time. It takes a lot of time to uh, bring bring a mission full circle and then launch it. So I think the cost of developing and launching a spacecraft 
was would run into billions of dollars and it required at least uh, five to eight years to come up with a completely ready mission. Uh, and along with that, it's not just time consuming and expensive. It also requires a lot of uh, careful uh, precision technology uh, to be able to have a good success rate. So I think because of all of these reasons, I think the interest shifted beyond the moon towards uh, strengthening our capabilities in the orbits. And I think uh, the, the two decade lag that we saw in uh, moon uh, efforts between 1972 and 2009 from the US side uh, was also because of the same reason. It's just that they shifted their focus or most countries shifted their focus towards strengthening the orbits, ex expanding the capabilities uh, that technologies can have in the orbits. And uh, along with that, the, there were a few other uh, small issues that they had to deal with. One is regarding having a more precise uh, effort on the moon. This is regarding dealing with, say, radiation exposure or uh, dealing with the lunar weather conditions uh, and all of those. I think those took longer time and uh, they were dealing with the budget constraints that they had. Along with that, logistically, they, it requires a lot of international collaboration because complexity uh, and the costs are involved. One country or one uh, group of people could not have invested on such a big scale uh, mission to the moon. So coordinating efforts becomes very important uh, with priorities, regulations, technological capabilities and all of that. They also needed to work towards, I mean, we still need to establish uh, effective frameworks and international cooperation on issues, again, regarding sharing resources, data, responsibilities for successful moon missions. And in this case, now, uh, slowly we see Artemis Accords, the Lunar Research Station, uh, slowly emerging as a collaborative uh, effort so that they can pool their resources and expertise and ensure a more efficient uh, uh, mission to the moon. Scientifically, uh, despite uh, significant scientific knowledge that has been gained from previous moon missions, there are still many unanswered questions about the lunar geology and environment. So understanding the origin of the moon, its geological history, uh, potential resources, and the effects it has on long-term exposure to lunar conditions have become some of the constraints or challenges that uh, countries needed to explore or still need to explore uh, before they uh, work towards going on the moon. I think one of the biggest examples we can take of the uncertainty of moon missions is what happened uh, with Russia's uh, recent moon mission. We saw India and Russia both aiming towards uh, the moon surface and we saw like a 50% uh, success rate, right? So I think that kind of an uncertainty is probably what stopped countries from uh, aiming towards uh, the moon much more than they pulled the efforts towards um, strengthening their orbital uh, space capabilities. And going back to the question on uh, why did we take so la long to go back to the moon and what has changed now? Uh, what has changed now is the geopolitics, I must say, because we're, we're coming back to a time where there's a lot of uh, geopolitical competition on the Earth, where space obviously becomes a, a secondary aspect, but it's still a very significant secondary aspect of national prestige and scientific capability. Uh, I think uh, the same thing must have happened in 2009 when um, uh, the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter was launched. And this was 
after again a two decade break in the efforts of uh, any country towards the moon and i have always wondered what changed in 2009 and the closest answer could be the rise of china in space china has become somewhat of a motivating factor for the us to relook at the moon because again they are in a in a geopolitical race uh we've also gone back to the geopolitical scientific trends that the cold war had so there is a lot of interest and investment on outer space in strengthening our capabilities because the geopolitical factors ex uh, require us to focus more on expanding our surveillance and intelligence gathering capabilities and but however this time the space our uh, domain is much better than the space space domain was during the cold war countries are still working together while they're competing with each other and the economic potential of the moon exploration uh, is another motivating factor to look at the moon again the discovery of water ice or the discovery of uh, helium 3 probably is uh, gathering investments to invest on the moon again along with that we have the uh, uh, need to have a scientific leadership and also national security capabilities so those are being strengthened uh, using the moon and the lunar orbits as a, a motivating factor because then we would have a different perspective on surveillance and in security uh, ideas from looking on the other side of the earth so i think these are largely what we could see as a shift in the way we look at uh, moon today all right so you mentioned like geopolitical uh, factors has been the prime uh, thing that has changed yes. over the years uh, so from your perspective uh, i'm asking this question uh, from the angle because recently india signed artemis accord and i believe that mood in came you know suddenly mm-hmm. it was a build up of a relationship between india and us uh, primarily through quad i believe Yes, uh, which uh, the former uh, Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, who initiated, who actually pushed up this cooperation to counter, you know, several uh, threats in the Pacific. Uh, so that relationship, you know, led to, I believe, uh, you know, a close cooperation between US and India, which I mean we haven't seen before ever. Yes. I mean, these two countries have been completely opposite on both the geopolitical interest and both their, you know. international perspectives as well but now there is a sh- complete shift in the relation between us and india uh, yeah. so from that perspective the you know the blocks like quad or even brics uh, how are these various groupings of countries uh, working towards uh, you know reaching the moon surface or possibly you know in general uh, for the cooperation in the space can you extend a little bit on this Yes, sir. Uh, so just before I get get to the question you gave me, I just wanted to re-emphasize what I said uh, in the previous answer. Uh, when I said uh, moon can become a, a factor for surveillance and intelligence gathering, I think there are talks about how you you can start building uh, space situational awareness capabilities from the moon or lunar orbit so that you can get a different advantage uh, than observing from the Earth. and this high ground advantage that moon offers is a very uh, very uh, advantageous factor or very beneficial factor for countries because you know we know that the orbits are crowding and with that level of crowding we don't know 
when, what kind of a situation might come. And in the same context, if I look at bilateral and multilateral initiatives on the moon, it's a great thing that uh, uh, regional initiatives like BRICS and G20 are talking about space. And I think these regional initiatives should have spoken about outer space cooperation way before than they are doing it right now. And it's a big thing that they're talking about it uh, uh, in the year uh, that we are talking about uh, 2023 because bilateral and multilateral initiatives is probably the future of space cooperation because we no longer have the uh, all countries or all all of humankind kind of an approach to outer space we have an individualistic approach to outer space and then we will have a block based or a multilateral bilateral based approach to outer space and this will help in you know Establishing partnerships that require joint missions, sharing of data and resources and coordination of activities, which covers areas like technology development, scientific research, astronaut training and resource utilization. So when country when region uh, regional groupings like BRICS and G20 talk about it, the discussions are still at a nascent stage because they're not talking about it on a large scale or oh, we'll have a BRICS mission to the moon or we'll have a G20 mission to the moon. But they're still talking about uh, sharing of data or sharing of resources or uh, having collaborations in scientific research or encouraging astronaut training and stuff like that. So I think it's it's going to transition to have a tomorrow we might have a BRICS satellite in outer space or we might have a BRICS satellite that or BRICS rover that will go to the moon. So these it's it's still a far away idea, but it's on the way. And I think that kind of a dialogue in the bilateral and multilateral initiatives are uh, a very good sign. I think one of the uh, Artemis Accords then again falls under one of the uh, best examples of bilateral agreement. Artemis Accords has 27, I think 28 uh, signatories so far and India uh, signed. It was a it was a very uh, great initiative of India to sign the Artemis Accord because I think India has recognized the uh, futuristic outlook that the uh, Artemis Accords has. And uh, I think this type of uh, international cooperation building, but Artemis Accords is also a bilateral agreement. So everybody is signing it as a bilateral deal with the US and not as a complete grouping. So I think these things we have to observe and see how, how the dynamics changes uh, later on. Yeah, uh, yeah, so, just a minute. I would like to actually add on that. So it's a, yes. as you mentioned, it's a non-binding agreement. Yes. Uh, so it doesn't actually bind the nations to the United States because uh, there have been countries like I think uh, Brazil or UAE. Uh, I'm not you know sure, uh, yes, but yes. I think UAE has been one of the nations who have signed both ILRS and uh, and uh, Artemis, Artemis yes, as well. So yeah, okay. there are countries which are you know doing both. Like I think South Africa recently did that as well. Yes. Yeah. I think countries are also recognizing the importance of both IRLS and Artemis Accords because uh, both both the initiatives, even though they have some form of a block based tendencies, both are promising different uh, things on the moon. One is offering uh, the uh, deeper exploration, scientific exploration, and the other one is offering resource utilization, resource management, uh, establishing longer presence. So I think uh, the combination of both these efforts would be a great thing for uh, uh, the achievement of humankind itself on the moon. 
and uh, in in that sense countries are recognizing and the non binding nature of both these agreements makes it even more special because then countries can choose on what aspects they want to work with what block or what grouping and i think that uh, that is something unique to the space environment because as much as we say the securitization of outer space there is still that sense of cooperation there's still that uh, sense of uh, a common heritage kind of an idea towards the moon and i think that's a very beautiful uh, uh, thing about outer space itself uh, in some ways the uh, I, original ideas of the outer space treaty is still alive in case of irls itself it, it they want to propose a lunar base and they want to establish a sustainable human presence on the moon so it would essentially be the international space station kind of a model on the moon surface for a long term where we'll have humans going visiting is uh, conducting experiments and coming back and that also they have said it is open to all countries to come and participate so th then we see a sense of bilateral and multilateral initiatives that are forming towards the moon additionally we have the un usa and the international astronautical federation they are constantly organizing conferences and discussions and all of those which again encourages countries to participate more and like have further collaborative efforts towards the moon interesting yeah uh, yeah i completely agree with the fact that you mentioned each of the program has their own advantages uh, and i think this non binding thing should be there uh, and i hope it doesn't change uh, given the fact that uh, several countries have been aggressively taking the steps in the international domain because of the geopolitical interest uh, so we let's hope for the best that this remains the same it doesn't change actually because it's it's beneficial for you know uh, everyone not only for you know certain uh, countries but it's beneficial for everyone if it's non binding and yeah. i i believe uh, we are right now at the uh, end of the podcast um, so i would like to you know know from your perspective because you know uh, this this have these missions have been very fresh recently mm -hmm. this were launched uh, so yes. what are your thoughts on the recent moon missions that were launched uh, especially by india russia and japan I think all the three missions of India, Japan and Russia uh, have something very special to teach us. Uh, all three missions aim to enhance our understanding of the moon's geology, surface composition, potential resources, and also it reflects the country's commitments to advancing lunar exploration and also expanding the general the common knowledge of earth on uh, of uh, the moon to to all of us so by conducting these detailed studies of the moon's surface and potential resources these missions are expected to contribute a lot to the uh, evolution of the moon as a celestial body itself or uh, potential of the surface of the moon for you know human presence or human exploration or is it possible to utilize the moon itself as a transit point between you know our further missions to the mars or further beyond that so moon has always been considered as a a uh, potential uh, place for humans to go and settle at some point or now the talk is about treating it as a transit point where you go refuel on the surface of the moon and then you go ahead uh, to your further missions so all of these i think these missions will give us more detailed uh, scientific knowledge on how this can be achieved and uh, even though the russia's mission fell short i think uh, we have we had an important lesson to learn that the 
weather conditions are, are around the moon surface or the conditions of the risks involved with the mission to the moon is very dangerous and i think that is also a takeaway from the missions that we saw this year uh, japan's mission aims to study the surface uh, the subsurface of the lunar surface and also eventually add to the knowledge of the geological evolution of the moon and these things help us to understand okay how do we establish uh how do we approach the moon further what is the how is the moon going to help us in a later stage decades from now how is going how is it going to evolve and stuff like that i think scientifically uh, all these three missions are going to achieve for us and i think that will again lay a very strong foundation for human exploration uh, in the further years uh, india i think is also planning its uh, human uh, space flight human landing on the moon so i think uh, this will again lay a foundation for india's efforts towards its next missions towards the moon interesting yeah thank you very much for these insights uh, so harini as you know uh, every after every episode uh, at the end of every episode i would say uh, i ask this question about uh, what message would you like to give to the students so i'd I, i'd like to repeat that question for you again again on this episode Yes. Uh, what message would you like to give to the students who are stepping into the field of, uh, like space exploration, but not from completely scientific perspective, as you are uh, from political science and arts background, humanities, social sciences. Uh, so, from people you know from that areas, how they can contribute to the space exploration? Uh, can you tell us briefly? So that uh, there are a lot of students actually who listen to this podcast as well, so they can you know take some good insights out of it. i think my biggest message uh, would be to you know students who are like me exploring outer space is that it is a new domain you might feel like oh there's not much being done or uh, maybe it is not my place to uh, uh, look at the politics of the moon because i have no scientific knowledge because that's sometimes something that even i might feel some day but there is a a clear understanding that the political science or the policy uh, sector brings to this kind of a domain not just space but any technological domain the policy and political understanding actually helps expand our knowledge on a subject like this and i think uh, in that case uh, if you're passionate about outer space and you're a political science student or a international relations student foreign policy student i think that passion can be expanded to understand uh the space domain itself i even though i thought that i had scientific uh, uh understanding less scientific understanding of the domain i think while reading and while exploring the domain i have understood how at least broadly how the uh, domain works or how science in outer space works so i think uh, your domain understanding will drive you to expand your knowledge on any subject that you're studying so if you're passionate about something please go ahead uh, explore the subject more ask the right questions i think there's very few people asking the right questions in in subjects like this we should be asking questions and getting answers give policy recommendations even though you feel like nobody might read it go ahead and uh, send emails write write to people ask the right questions and i think you'll you'll be able to do well thank you very much arini for this insights i hope uh, the audience takes away a lot of good insights out of this episode um, i mean i already have had a lot of sessions on terrestrial conflicts uh, geopolitical aspect but this is the first time that we are having a guest uh, a returning guest i would say mm-hmm. uh, but for uh security political perspectives of luna missions 
so we hope to create more such episodes in the future and uh, we hope to have you again on the podcast thank you very much thank you sir so i just had one more question probably before we close off yes uh, something to you i think something to the audience as well yes, as something yes. to ponder upon yes yes please go ahead uh, yes if we look at outer space uh, the orbits as something earth orbits as something as a property of the earth because it's immediately extending the earth but moon becomes an entirely different political domain so how do we separate the politics of the earth just like how you just mentioned we have discussed the terrestrial politics but how do we separate the terrestrial politics uh, against uh, the politics of something that is an entirely different or a, a new political domain as the moon or another planet i think this is something that we could ponder upon uh, and see how it goes yes i believe uh, this is where uh, the subject of common interest versus national interest comes into the play yes uh, i had recently actually written an article uh, for a magazine called aspesref mm. um, and the you know there there were like some of the mixed reactions but there are several people who actually i mean i received a lot of response for that article uh, in this year that was one of the highly reachable article i would say Okay. uh the thing that i mentioned over there is that one thing we are lacking at the moment in the space industry mm-hmm. is the track to diplomacy uh then the involvement of multilateral institutions in an effective manner yes like think tanks and all yes. i mean we have multilateral institutions like un but those are not enough mm-hmm. uh, you know they they are fine to do regulatory aspect and all the things uh but you know a member to member cooperation uh, like we saw for iss hmm. uh, i I'm, i repeatedly give this example like two states with no common interest completely yes. opposite of each other us and russia yes, were cooperating yes. on iss and that is an excellent example of how we should move ahead in the space exploration domain yes, uh, because uh, this is very important going down the line uh, that we do not blur the lines between common interest and national interest this should be kept separate you know yes sir uh, and you know try because if we keep it separate then only uh, we can try to achieve uh, cooperative goals you know bringing them both together will possibly blur the lines uh, as we are seeing now in several of the conflicts happening you know even the azerbaijan and armenia conflict that is there we see yes. a several group of nations supporting uh, azerbaijan on a supply side Yeah, uh, and several nations supporting armenia but you know that there is a rift somewhere that goes on so the common interest and national interest should be very well defined and mm. more encouragement should be there for the think tanks i hardly see any dedicated think tanks mm. uh in the uh, space domain uh, fortunately in india there is one think tank which is started by one of my actually uh, industry colleague only narayan prasad Uh, mm. some of his uh, colleagues they uh, together have started this uh, called spaceport sarabhai and uh, an episode before this uh, episode 30 is uh, was uh, from a guest who came from that think tank actually spaceport oh. sarabhai so uh, this kind of initiative should be there uh, because think tanks are very important when it comes to multilateral institutions i mean when uh, you know the government talks don't work between certain nations the track to diplomacy is mostly initiated and in track to diplomacy you will see a lot of uh, you know external people apart from non governmental people you know taking participation into the talks and trying to you know resolve the conflict uh, so i believe there should be a dedicated wing in the space industry as well because 
this has always happened like the ukraine has been the prime example you know something happened here on the terrestrial conflict and it has directly affected the uh, space cooperation one web mm-hmm. satellites were blocked by russia because one web was launching satellites using uh, the russian launcher the mm-hmm. satellites were blocked uh, 36 satellites i believe and yes, yes. then the iss cooperation is no more the way it was it is you know for now they are just continuing to complete the certain missions but uh, it is not healthy as it was so you know this has directly affected so imagine tomorrow uh, maybe you know just imagine both ilrs and artemis are cooperating together on moon yeah. something goes down here on the terrestrial conflict level mm. want to mention about any specific incident from pacific and all anything can go down you know between the nations Yes. imagine the kind of havoc it might cause at that time because uh, now it is not only you know it's it's beyond earth orbit you know yes. and the way politics might play out uh, might not be good uh, because you know it uh, you know we will be having moon bases uh, humans will be staying there you know the human lives will be at stake so yes. uh to avoid that kind of situation we really need to have you know this kind of channels like uh, track to diplomacy where uh, especially the think tanks uh, can participate and i believe the think tank participation is very important uh, in the space industry which we are not seeing unfortunately on yes. higher level yes uh, but yeah hopefully uh, we will see this uh, in the coming years so if this things should, should be in place because this diplomatic instruments uh, are very important to negotiate and resolve conflicts uh, because as i mentioned uh, ukraine is a very fresh example of how quickly things can escalate thanks yeah uh, from yeah from the terrestrial conflict the way it has affected i mean within a month things were down in the yes. space industry within a month it yes. didn't even took a month you know i thought there might be a committee that might be set up to you know resolve the issues scientific cooperation will still go on with russia mm-hmm. uh, but yeah within a month uh, thing took a toll Uh, yes and that is that is a clear example that is a clear sign that in the space industry we need uh, this kind of participation because you don't really know what can go wrong tomorrow uh, when the conflict arises so that's my perspective actually that's that's actually very interesting so i think i agree with you completely this uh, the separation of collective and uh, national interest should be very clearly defined at various levels only then we can achieve like a long term yes. Yes. Sure then. Thank you very much Harini. Uh, I hope uh, I have answered your question in a very well manner. <laughs> yes, <sir. laughs> yes. Yes. And yeah, I look forward to have you on other podcast as well again. Sure. Uh, as we have some more episodes in the pipeline. Sure yes, then. Sir. Thank you and have a good day. Thank you so much sir you too. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you find our podcast insightful, then please like, share and subscribe. See you in the next episode. Thank you.